Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Imagine you are writing your resume and you put it way up there, best quality, I am humble. How far will that get you? Your application will probably be tossed into the trash right away. Yet Jesus said to his host at a dinner, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Some people sometimes talk about the key to heaven. That key to them is humility. Be humble, and you've got it. It may strike you that if such is the case, then many, many people will go to heaven. But then it may also hit you that few people will get to heaven, and you may wonder if you are one of them because of this thing called humility. Are you humble? I hope you didn't even bother to answer. Still, since it is coming out of the mouth of Jesus, it has to be important to see that Jesus is not just talking about humility as our attitude and mindset in this world for its sake. He reminds us that it has eternal value. Of course, we should know clearly that no one is saved by being humble. There are many humble people in the world, both religious and non-religious. If they don't have faith in Jesus, they will not be exalted to be with him, and they will have no reward from him. Faith in Jesus alone saves for eternal life. But faith also results in humility on the part of believers in Jesus. As a master teacher, Jesus always sees openings for teachable moments, and he makes use of them. When you read about this encounter with the Pharisees and the experts in the law in our text today, perhaps what strikes you is that they did not show any compassion whatsoever for the man suffering with edema. They were there to enjoy themselves and not concern themselves with someone who was suffering from an illness. I even suspect that the man's presence was an embarrassment to them. They just wanted him to go away. The man was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Why he had wandered in there, I don't know. He had likely heard about Jesus and knew he would be there. Word has a way of getting around very fast. If you were the man with the illness and you are standing there hoping that Jesus would heal you on this day, you might be wondering, at least for that brief period, what was going to happen. Jesus is there. You know he has healed many people, so he can heal you as well. But there is an obstacle and a chance that Jesus would not heal you because these super-strict observers of the letter of the law cannot bring themselves to say that it is good to heal on the Sabbath. And you are not a Pharisee. You are not an expert in the law. So you cannot make a pronouncement in the deep, on the deep religious and spiritual question. Jesus asked the experts, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? You are standing there like an object, and you are hoping the experts will say yes for your sake, but they will not answer Jesus. That simple question was too complex for them. 
You cannot get your miracle and go on your way because they wouldn't speak. Even if their dinner is held up because of you standing there, then so be it. They wouldn't give permission and break the law of the Sabbath. And you cannot do anything about it. It would have been tough seeing your chance of getting healed slipping away right in front of your eyes. The experts knew in their hearts what the answer should be. It should be yes. Instead, they were watching Jesus closely, as if waiting for him to do something wrong, and then they would accuse him of breaking the law. But as experts in the law, they should also have known that on compassionate grounds, they could have answered in the affirmative. God himself is compassionate. He has said it several times before in the Old Testament that he is the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But the experts had so interpreted the Sabbath day command that it was impossible for acts of mercy to be carried out as far as they were concerned. They knew by now that Jesus could heal the person suffering from edema by simply speaking a word. There was no law against speaking on the Sabbath, and there was no way they themselves didn't speak to anybody at all on the Sabbath. But instead of answering a simple question by Jesus, they chose to remain silent. It was not a matter of silence being golden, as the saying goes. It was a matter of pride and arrogance. They had no great regard for Jesus as far as religious matters go. He seemed to be turning everything upside down. He challenged their interpretation of the scriptures, even though he had not attended a religious school. He had not studied under a religious master. And yet here he was, challenging everything they had learned. They were not happy with that at all. As they remained silent, Jesus then asked them a second question that struck at the heart. What would they do on the Sabbath day if their child or animal fell into a well? Some of them had probably experienced that before, and they did what every person would do under such circumstances. They would instinctively go to the rescue. They could not or would not say anything in response to that either. In case Jesus asked them why they wouldn't then want this man to be healed on the Sabbath day, he showed their attitude toward Jesus and indeed toward anyone they considered beneath their status. Jesus proceeded to tell them a parable. This was not like the one he often told where you have to read carefully to figure out the point he was trying to make. This one was a more straightforward, practical situation that probably happened quite frequently at that time. There were places of honor at dinners, and some people liked to take those places, perhaps because they would get the choicest foods and drinks. It's like there were assigned seats that had not been marked, and people took advantage and took those seats, and then they had to be moved back. It brought shame to people in a shame and honor culture. Jesus' point was that their non-responses to his questions amounted to arrogance. They needed to have humility, even if they were leaders of society. Some people admire humility in others. Others look down on it because they think it kills the ambition that is needed if you want to get ahead in life. 
Sometimes, humility seems to be highly regarded in our current culture, especially when you hear people talk about sports stars, media personalities, and political figures. You might hear, oh, they are so humble. Still, humility is not really highly prized generally. But Christ calls on his followers to be humble because he's not about culture. If you don't have humility, you have a hard time being a Christian. Sometimes you hear people say of themselves that they are humble. And then we ask, how can you say that about yourself? Okay, so we don't verbalize it about ourselves. But truth be told, sometimes we think it about ourselves. So long as we don't say it, then we are good. Or so we think. Humility is a word that is not easily defined. Martin Luther once said, true humility does not know that it is humble. If it did, it would be proud from the contemplation of so fine a virtue. Perhaps that captures what humility is really well. I also find a helpful definition from the Wisdom Wonder blog, where the author, Sharon Cumberland, defines it as knowing, accepting, and being who we are while demonstrating modesty about our accomplishments and gifts, admitting mistakes, and valuing others for who they are and for their input. We can live humble lives without secretly trying to take credit. It may mean we admit we are wrong. It may mean we put someone else's need before our own. It may mean we don't take all the credit for some positive outcomes that we contributed to. It can be a tricky balancing concept. You can acknowledge your gifts, accomplishments, and talents, but you will be modest about it. What the Pharisees and the experts in the law were saying by their intentional silence to Jesus' simple questions was tantamount to them saying, I am better than you are. It was not a display of humility when by their silence they were daring Jesus to break the Sabbath law. Jesus took hold of the man, he healed him, and he sent him away. I don't think they cared or gave thanks and praise to God for, for this healing. But what a joyous day it would have been for the man. I think the man came there in humility, and Jesus exalted him by this healing miracle. Jesus would have broken the law by this compassionate act on the Sabbath. But the experts did not drive him away. They let him stay. Jesus used the opportunity to call them out for their arrogance and to teach them to be humble. He told his hosts, not in private, but in the hearing of all, that they should have regard for the poor and needy in their neighborhood. They should be kind to them. The poor would not be able to repay them for their kindness, but that should not prevent them from helping. True compassion should not expect to be repaid. They should help without expecting any reward. What Jesus said to them, he says to you as well. It may be that the poor and needy may feel entitled to your help, but that should not prevent you from helping if you can. You are not helping for a, re a reward. Still, Jesus says that there is a reward for you as you show kindness to those in need. 
there is a reward for showing humility, even though humility does not know it is humble. It is a reward that you have not earned, but Jesus will graciously give it to you. It is a promise for all of you, his believers. He earned it for you. He gave you faith. By his life, death, and resurrection, he earned it for you. Even as you are not seeking exaltation for you, he has committed himself to doing that for you. You are followers of the true God, and the true God will exalt his followers. Even though you are not seeking that, he will do it for you. Not only is he saving you from eternal condemnation, but he is also going to reward you. What a gracious God we have. How much humility should you have? And what kind of reward will God give you? Good thing, Jesus, of humility, you have to achieve to merit the reward. Otherwise, someone might say, I will be 10% humble to have my own apartment in heaven, or 50% to have my own house there, or 90% humility to have my own mansion in heaven. I did not mention 100% since we know that none of us can achieve that level of humility. But maybe I'm mistaken and someone knows how to achieve 100% humility. In that case, have a sign-up sheet at the end of service and the rest of us can sign up with you back there. Jesus Christ was humility itself, 100%, perfectly from being born as a baby and living on this earth as a poor man, even though he was fully God from the beginning, from being a rabbi, an excellent teacher, and yet washing his disciples' feet, allowing himself to be disrespected, from knowing that he is God, and yet not using that to consider himself more important than others, from allowing himself to be arrested, mocked, tortured, and, tortured, and killed. That is humility. His promise of rewards at the resurrection will be empty if he himself had not risen from the dead on the third day as he repeatedly told his disciples. God will exalt his followers, you, by your faith in the one whom you have believed in, Jesus Christ, you will look to adopt his own humble attitude and he will exalt you, all of you, at the right time. No matter your situation in life now, he is going to make you better than you are and better than you deserve. It's going to happen at the resurrection from the dead. When that will be, I don't know, of course. If it happens that you are alive when that day comes, you will still be part of the resurrection because you will have instant change in your body from imperfection to perfection. Jesus has invited you. You have showed up. You are here. He is going to move you from here to a better place. He will exalt you. What he says in the parable, he says to you, friend, move up to a better place. Come out to me. Receive your reward. Amen.